0: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're no, joined now by Dr. David Petron, University of Utah Healthcare, and the Utes head team physician. Dr. Petron, good morning.
1: Good morning. Hi, guys.
0: Good to have you back on. We had you on a couple weeks ago, and I'm curious. Uh, when I read stuff, I, I read that you know we're learning more about coronavirus all the time. How much time do you spend trying to uh, keep up on it, and, and what do you know now that you didn't know last time you were on the radio with us?
1: Uh, I spend a fair amount of time on it. It doesn't really fit in with sports medicine. And so everything's been a learning process since it's all broke loose with, uh, with Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, um, learning all the time. It's a novel virus. So everybody's learning all the time. Uh, still a lot of unknowns and a lot of challenges. Uh, we met with the PAC 12 yesterday and, So each each team has a representative from the Pac-12, and we have some infectious disease specialists involved. And I have to tell you that after that meeting, as opposed to other meetings, there was a little bit more of a sense of pessimism, I think, uh, coming out of that meeting.
2: Yeah, that's what it seems like going on right now in general. Is that obviously because of what is going on that that led to maybe some optimism a week or two ago and has declined into that pessimism, as you say?
1: Yeah, some of it has to do with what's going on in our country as a whole. I mean, you know, a few months ago, COVID wasn't even in the top 75 causes of death in this country, and now it's the number one cause of death. And um, I mean, it's more remarkable than the 1918 flu pandemic, and numbers are going up, at least in the United States. Worldwide, or a lot of countries, the numbers are going down. But that's one component of it. But really, some of the challenges are, are really within sport itself. Um, and even just, well, let me give you a few examples, and then you guys tell me what you think. You You talk to people all day long about this as well. You probably have as much or more knowledge than I do on a lot of these issues, at least as it pertains to sport. But some of the challenges are really, how do we even define what high risk is in an athlete? So... We're having trouble coming to a consensus with this. So just say somebody tests positive for it on a football team, then who are the high-risk contacts? And how do we define define who they would be and how we isolate them, how we test them, how long they'd be out? There's just a number of challenges. So one way is just to say, okay, you test positive, so anybody that you're near or you room with is also uh, considered high risk and so um, and a best case scenario with that is you would test them on day three and day five and a very best case scenario is you get the results back within 24 hours and so everybody that was a high risk for that positive test would be out a minimum of a week um, and that's that's kind of best case scenario and that's the other another issue is just testing itself so within the PAC-12 we don't have uh, one standard test that everybody is doing. There's challenges within each university. So example, at the University of Utah, we have a lab on campus. So that's an advantage for us. Washington has a lab on campus. Well, Corvallis and Eugene, a little more isolated. They don't have access to that. And they're talking about that their turnaround may be more like 48 hours or longer so then when you start testing an athlete and they turn positive and you're not going to get a result for 48 hours or longer, that even slows the process down on return to play even further. The other thing that we know now is that there's some risk if you exercise immediately after testing positive. So somebody who tests positive, the recommendation is really a a graded return to play. But on the quickest end of that, it would be about a 17-day time period before that athlete would be able to return to play. So part of the problem is we don't have a consensus on a uh, conference-wide level on what testing we're going to do. We don't know for certain how quick the turnaround will be for that testing. I mean, ideally for a football game, we'd want to test, say, on a Thursday night, have the results by Friday morning before somebody has to get on a plane and travel, and then um, play the game on Saturday. And then that would be relatively low risk that even seems to be difficult because some of these teams can't get the results back that quickly. And so if you start testing somebody on say a Monday or a Tuesday and they travel on Friday um, and then even with the travel itself, there's risk uh, on an airplane. And, and I mean, the bottom line with all of this is, is there's going to be risk uh, with return to play of athletes. It, you can't test your way out of it. It's a little easier on the pro level where I think uh, the NFL is looking at testing daily or every other day. The NBA, we're testing every other day. Um, and then once they're isolated in the bubble in Orlando, I think that's a little bit more controllable than an athlete that's um, a college athlete, that this isn't their occupation, they're not getting paid for it, and they have, wanna have a lot of social activities that they want to do. and Just a lot more moving parts at a university, I think, than a, than a pro team.
0: So we heard, and this is a couple of months ago, so people may not be holding on to this position anymore. But we heard, we're going. If somebody else can't go, oh well. So, for the schools that have um, the, the testing facilities and the labs on campus, you know, Utah and Washington, is there this thought in the PAC 12, well, that they should go? And Oregon and Oregon State, if they don't, well, best of luck to you, and I hope you can play at some point, and we'll play you if you can play when you can play?
1: Yeah, but if you think about that, DJ, that's kind of how this all imploded to begin with, right? It started with Rudy and Donovan, and then you remember back in the, with the basketball NCAA basketball tournament, it kind of started out with the conference-wide tournaments where they said, well, okay, the women will play, and then well, no, okay, the men will play, but there won't be fans. Okay, there'll be 50% fans. No, there'll be 20% fans. Uh, this team's pulling out. Okay, then I guess we can't play. And then before you know it, the, all the basketball tournaments are called off. So it just was kind of a domino effect where everything went like that. I, I don't see that a conference unilaterally will be saying that we're going to opt out of, um, of competition this year for whatever sport. But I. But I do see the potential for it starting with one team or one university and then others end up following, um, similar to what happened in the past.
2: How are these workouts going now with the players and athletes who've come back to campus?
1: It's So far for the University of Utah, as you know, we don't talk about specific injuries and we don't um, name name the injuries. But I can tell you our testing has gone great. Um they're working out. The workouts are going well. And if you look at some of these other universities that had problems with this, most of the problems uh, were on the social level, not with the uh, actual workouts themselves at their respective institutions. So, D.J., I, I heard you the other day. I can't remember who was on, but they asked a, you asked a question about, I want to get this right, but basically the gist was kind of, well, I mean, if they just stay in their hometowns and they do what they're going to do, they're going to potentially pick up the virus versus going in playing sport and doing what they're going to do. And they may pick up the virus. But, And I don't know if he answered your question appropriately, but I think the idea was how does sport change it versus if the athletes are picking this up on a social level,
0: yeah, that's I get what I was that getting right. At. Do
1: you remember the question? I do,
0: I asked? do, re- I do remember it, and I do remember that I don't think the person—I can't even remember who we were talking to—but I don't think the person fully grasped what I was getting at. But it goes back to what you said about it. it's the social that when we see an outbreak at a school, well, then you find out some players went to a club at LSU. There's a party at Texas when it was the Orlando Professional Women's Soccer Team, the Pride. Well, a bunch of them went to dinner and drinks together. And so it's not the the weightlifting or the film room or the practice or the game where they're getting it. They're getting it like you say, in these social situations when they're around each other.
1: Right. And it's almost a, a more controlled setting um, when they, when they have, um, you know, a, a list of the activities that they should be doing on a almost hour by hour day-to-day basis. When they get back to sport, it's really more organized in some ways. Now, There's clustering of athletes, obviously, and there could be potential in dorm rooms and that type of thing. But, um, I mean, there's risk with day-to-day activity in life, too. And so, I I mean, I I understood your question when you asked it then, and I think it's, uh, I mean, I agree with you with with what you're saying, because most of these outbreaks have been more from social interaction rather than what's happening uh, with athletics itself.
2: So do you see a situation, and if we're resuming, and we'll go with football because that's the highest profile and that's up next, to where they basically have some type of, uh, I can't use the word quarantine in its purest sense, but some type of quarantine with the staff and the players during the season?
1: Um, Well, probably not quarantine, but maybe just isolation with, yeah, right. I mean, it's it would definitely be an advantage if a coach could convince athletes to stay out of, um, you know, clubs and social situations like that and say, anytime you're in public, you need to be wearing a mask. You need to be um, considerate to your teammates and, and others by, by, you know, just distancing and wearing a mask and doing the right things that way. Um, but. You know, these are college kids, and they're going to do what they're going to do, and you can't control them all hours of the day. But um, if, if you could, I mean, I, I think you could still isolate this. If somebody tests positive, you could isolate them and uh, keep them from the rest of the team and continue on. I mean, part of it is you could do it by time element or you could do it by testing. But if you test, you need pretty quick turnaround to get the result of that test. Otherwise, really – so say you test one person, but they've had contact with several other people, unless you have the results on the other people that they had contact with relatively quickly, it could still spread throughout the team. Part of the problem even is with the testing. Like the gold standard on the test is the deep nasal pharyngeal swab, but to do that test, somebody has to have uh, PPE, which isn't very practical. So now we're looking in sports at other ways to test. For instance, in the NBA, they're doing an anterior nasal swab and a, and a pharyngeal swab. But this is a, it's not really any more comfortable than the deep nasal pharyngeal swab. So it's like a 15-second swab in each nostril and a swab on the back of the throat, and then it's mixed together and then sent for uh, analysis, and you get the result within 24 hours. But the big advantage of that is you can do that without the person gathering, collecting the sample without having full PPE. Another test is a saliva test where you don't have to have full PPE, but that hasn't been FDA approved yet, but it looks like it's a good test. Um, And so it gets difficult for some of these schools, uh, our school included, to sit there and say we're going to test 120 football players every day when it takes about 15 minutes to test four people. It's just not practical. So part of what we're looking at with testing, too, and plan on doing is testing certain pods on certain days so one day we may be testing defensive backs and assume that that test on that individual will be similar to the other individuals in that pod test running backs test wide receivers people that are around each other more and then um, just just try to carry on that way on a on a day-to-day basis it's for us to test everybody you know i guess pro football is 55 players but for us to test over a hundred football players every day, it's it's just not practical.
3: So
0: Take us back to that meeting, Doctor David Petron. joined us, and you were saying that after this meeting and representatives from all the Pac-12 schools, there, there was more pessimism there. What is the? Do you come out of it with action items? Like, okay, what are the things we're going to do this week? So the next time we meet, we got this info. What's the next thing that you know? Maybe we'll provide some more hope, or maybe we'll provide more pessimism and convince everyone to shut it down. But what's what's the next thing? Well, I think
1: the next step is trying to define on a conference-wide level, maybe on an NCAA level, what high risk is. Because um, if you define, if one team defines high risk one way and another team defines it another way, there's a there would definitely be an advantage. So say say you say anybody that's across the line from a person who tested positive, all those people also have to be considered high risk, and then we need to hold them out and test them on day three and day five and wait for the results. So you could have a fair amount of your team um, out for that competition where, say, another team says, well, high risk we think is just somebody who's uh, in a roommate or um, who's next to them in the locker room and and just say it's a fewer number of people that they consider high risk. Well, that would be an advantage for that team, right, because they could just say, well, we don't think they're high risk and they can continue to play. Um, so that, that's one of the biggest challenges, and we haven't come up with that yet. Another thing we're looking at, with football anyway, is face shields and also looking at potentially wearing a gaiter with the face shield or some sort of mask with that to try to lower the risk. One of the infectious disease doctors in the meeting yesterday actually felt that basketball is a higher-risk sport because you're up closer and, and breathing more of the same air and you can't really wear any kind of protective mask um, for basketball, so he thought that was a higher-risk sport. But they're looking at using this kind of full face shield cover, um, which really there hasn't been any research on it yet, but think that it may give some sort of protection in addition to wearing a gaiter, and then that may lower the risk. So, so some of the challenges, we're trying to get consistency on testing from one team to another, being able to get the testing back in a timely manner and having a consensus on what we, dis- what we decide to be a high-risk versus a low-risk person. And unless we get consensus on that, I think some of this is really difficult to move forward.
2: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. When we get to the point of competition, whether it's on an NCA level or individual le- or conference level, it looks like there's going to be requirements of some form of uniformity. Is that accurate?
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: So when you guys meet, this information goes back to coaches, this information goes back to ADs. How's this spread? And uh, when we talk to someone in any of those categories at any school, what kind of things should we be asking them?
1: Yeah, no, you're exactly right, DJ. So today there will be a meeting with coaches, and I think athletic directors are part of that meeting as well. And then one of the, the representatives from the meeting yesterday will relay some of um, the discussion points that we had and um, try to try to get some resolution with this, but you, I mean, just from what I've said, I think you can see that it's not as easy as it seems like it would be on the surface. Just to say, well, let's 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 play football. Interestingly, the SEC ticket sales are up. Go figure. <laughs> how does that? How does, can you believe? I think our tolerance and this this is just my opinion, but I think our tolerance in the Pac-12 is not quite that of some of the other conferences. Um, I think the SEC and the Big Ten will try to push this to the limit. The Pac-12 I think um, may not may not have as much tolerance as some of the other conferences. I don't know what you guys think of that. Yeah, it
2: looks that way. I'm not asking you to comment individually on what UCLA is doing and all that stuff, but there was a thing last week where players said they wanted a neutral third party. They didn't necessarily trust the coach on this. And my thought as far as the medical people, isn't that what you're already doing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't put the – yeah, as long as the coach doesn't supersede the decisions of the local health department and the medical people involved with the team, then um, I don't think you need a third party. I mean, that that kind of goes back to just some of decision-making in sport in general. So I guess you could make an analogy to concussion. So in the NFL, they have a neutral person for concussion and a feeling like the team's Medical staff can't make an objective decision on return to play for concussion, so they have a they have a neutral person. But in general, I would say my colleagues across the country look out for the health and, and well-being of the athlete first and the sports second. But I can understand uh, where some of those student-athletes at UCLA are coming from, wanting a, a, a third party. I don't think any of the other schools have asked for that.
0: Uh, I've read that football provides about 80% of the TV revenue value in a, in a contract. You know, the rest is probably men's basketball and obviously football charters to games. The other sports don't generate the revenue, but they largely travel commercial air. Now, they drive to some games and there's some charters, certainly for men's basketball. Have you addressed commercial air travel for sports teams or is that too far down the list as a, as a group?
1: Uh, We're looking at that and some of our um, lower-risk sports. We plan on testing prior to them traveling commercially and then uh, having them wear masks when they travel commercially. Um, It's not really practical for sports like golf or some of the smaller sports to charter. So I think that, that becomes difficult. So I think a lot of the sports, the plan is still to travel commercially. Football, of course, is all charter.
0: And I assume that you are strongly in the category that uh, we all should be wearing masks when we're in public.
1: There's absolutely great evidence for that. Yeah, and it, yeah, I hate that this has become a political issue. It should not be a political issue. We should all be wearing masks when we're out in public. If, even if we don't feel like it's doing anything for us, you're you're being kind to those around you because it's – Shed through droplets and through air. And if you can minimize that, it definitely helps um, decrease the risk.
0: He's Dr. David Petron, University of Utah Healthcare, Utah's head team physician. We appreciate you coming on, and we'll look forward to talking to you again in another couple weeks, getting an update because uh everything is new.
1: Absolutely. All right. Thanks, guys.
0: Dr. David Petron here on 975 and 1280 the zone.
1: Basketball is
3: back. The Zone Sports Network is keeping you up on all the latest news with the Utah Jazz in the NBA. This is a back-to-basketball update. Oh, he never looked at the net. Presented by Zion's Bank. On 975-1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. 22-year NBA veteran Vince
0: Carter announced his retirement. He is officially done playing basketball professionally. Said the abrupt ending was tough. He's with the Atlanta Hawks, and they've not been invited to the NBA restart in Orlando. Maverick center Willie Colley-Stein informed the team that he'll opt out of the restart of the NBA season, opening up a roster spot the Mavs' intend to fill by signing former Jazz point guard Trey Burke. Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder held a press conference with reporters on Zoom and said the reaction to jazz star Donovan Mitchell's social media posts indicate the conversations need to continue about the ongoing social justice reform efforts. That's your back-to-basketball update presented by Zions Bank on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
3: From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, the Zone, and the Zone Sports Network.
1: They tell everybody that July 28th is a date they're going to come back, but there are other dates that were discussed beforehand, and they were going back and forth, and this is... Different territory. So the good thing is that there's a lot of minds working on it. The bad thing is, again, because there's no answer that's going to satisfy everybody. It's okay. Which which of these these ideas can work the best and keep everybody the safest?
0: That's Jay Glazer from the NFL talking about the dates the NFL can come back. When can camp start? He throws July 28th out there, and of course, the Hall of Fame game has already been canceled. So now we're looking at the preseason maybe being uh, knocked down from four games to two, which... Wouldn't bother anybody except the owners who get the money from two home games during the preseason. All that money from season ticket holders. It's time to go back and look at everything we've talked about during this show. Get those of you who joined us late, up to date on everything you've missed. And it is brought to you by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and Sandy. Find your deals online at lhmdeals.com. You know, it made me think of something Kyle Whittingham said a long time ago. I don't know. It was was after the NBA had shut down and he hasn't had that many media veils. I don't know if he was on our... Show or if he was doing a Zoom call or what it was, PK. But I remember him saying, if the NFL can do it, maybe we can. But if they can't, I don't see how we can. And if we can't do it and the NFL can't do it, how can high school do it? He says, I think the NFL set the standard and it will kind of all trickle down from there. And listening to Jay Glazer and what he's saying NFL people are telling him, and then listen to Dr. David Petron in the last... Uh, segment, talk about how complicated it is, how many details there are to figure out and to work out, and you realize Kyle okay, was right a long time ago.
2: <laughs> well, I think that the NFL, because of the limited numbers compared yep. to the colleges, which is <clears throat> basically about half... And the money. and Yeah, and the this, the, the actual bodies, yep. that would be easier to control than it is in the colleges and, the, and in the NFL... You know, most of the time they're going home and colleges, you know, you're just you don't know, you, you know the m- amount of folks that they're coming in contact with every day and all that stuff. So I think from that standpoint, uh, the NFL is a trendsetter. But I think all it's the same thing with all the professional sports. I don't think it's unique to football. I mean, I can argue, you know, if the NBA can't yep. do it, how can anybody do it? I mean, you can take that and carry it that out now for for baseball. As far as the colleges, you know, we've got several months. We've got the spring. And somebody on Yahoo I was reading this morning is advocating Pete making Thamel. the college se- – Yeah, Thamel, having the college season, football anyway, start a week after the Super Bowl and go in that direction. And then it does open up some other <clears throat> unintended consequences as far as what does the NFL draft do. And those players, they're, they're that much closer to being professionals, you know, what – What's the advantage of Trevor Lawrence playing and having huh. some two hundred and ninety five pound guy chasing him all day long? He looks like he's going to be a high draft choice whether he competes this season for Clemson or he doesn't compete for Clemson. It really probably has no bearing you don't you don't know that for sure if he doesn't compete. Because of this situation, I don't think it'll decrease his stock. The only way his stock is going to decrease if he goes out as a junior and just totally sucks, which doesn't look like that's going to happen. But if he were to sit out because of the situation, I don't think his draft stock would drop at all. So you may have some players, more players, who wouldn't just sit out a bowl game. they literally sit out the entire season if it is pushed back to the spring, but... I don't necessarily have a problem with that at all if that's what they want to do because I have never been one to say, well, you need to do this, you need to do that when it comes to someone's money. It's their money and the, whatever they think and their parents and the folks who are advising them in the case of just using Trevor Lawrence as the example, right, who's you – can't, you can't say anything. You just got to say, okay, all right, good luck, best of luck, and, and do what you think is right. So be it. So if they play in the spring – I would take it and if kids set out, well, they sit out.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. The only the only thing in that is that if there were some weekends where teams could play in the fall, I think they should. I think that there's no guarantee you're gonna be able to play in January or February. I'm open to playing then if that's how it if that's how it works and that's the best case scenario. But I think the best option is to try to play it as scheduled and then when you can't play a game, push it back and if it just takes 20 weeks to play 10 games you don't get in the full 12 you don't get in non-conference or maybe you don't even get some of the conference in maybe some of the non-conference you can play the first couple weeks and then in a given area maybe it gets too hard to play at one or at school or another Um well, just be as flexible as possible because yeah. you're just not controlling this thing
2: Maybe just wait to the fall of 2021 and play double headers.
0: <laughs> I don't think that'll work. But
2: and they have just like three quarters instead of four. You play. Oh,
0: I see you're going with a seven inning model there, huh? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Your inner baseball guy is <laughs> <laughs> reshaping football. Uh, th- we did tell you earlier in the show the Pac-12 says they can push the conference title game back a week, so if they need to play essentially some makeup games, they can go ahead and do it. That. Uh, Saturday, Friday the fourth and Saturday the fifth of December, are when the conference title games would normally happen. Uh, the twelfth, Saturday the twelfth, would have the Army Navy game, but not much else. So. Not only Pac twelve but any other league could also do the same thing. Move it back a week and have a week to play makeup games. Now, if you lose a lot of games, you know that's the point where maybe you're rescheduling the conference title game for January and you're using all of December to to play, you know, whichever schools can make up a game, go ahead and make it up and play what you can and get as close to a full schedule as you can. Uh, you know, I'd be up for that. We talked earlier about some of these bowl games don't have to happen. Are you really that married to the Music City Bowl? Would it, if there were no Humanitarian Bowl in Boise, it's not called the Humanitarian Bowl anymore, but whatever the, the famous sponsors. Idaho Potato Bowl, is it, come is on. the potato still sponsored? Okay, yeah. famous Idaho Potato Bowl in uh, Boise. If they didn't play that one year, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Um so, you know, maybe you, you skip some of these. But also, some of these games are played with very few fans and very few people traveling anyway. So if it's a, a game played for a studio audience and it's ESPN programming, well, is that really that far from what it was, you know, six months ago when they played it last year? You know, I don't think it was. But no, I, I
2: don't care as much because the Devils, they're not going to play in the Rose Bowl until next season, not this coming season. Because
0: they're going to be in the playoff this year or because they need another yeah, sophomore quarterback?
2: Well, they only have like seven seniors on their entire roster. Okay. Yeah. Playing for the future, baby. Utah got that many seniors drafted last year. (laughs) Now the problem with the Devils is what comes in is that all those juniors are going to be draft eligible. And for the Utes, they all came back. Their season would have looked drastically different if all those kids had left for the NFL.
0: Oh, I think you can argue if even one of them had left and they'd been missing their star running back, it would have looked different. (laughs) <laughs> even, even if they got most of them back without Moss, it would have look different
2: yeah, and the Devils aren't made to compete at a high level, so probably 95% of those juniors who are draft eligible are going to leave
0: so get in the playoff and get in the New Year's Six Bowl games, because that's where most of the money is, gotta play the granddaddy maybe get in the Sugar Bowl I don't know where the semifinals are this year it rotates around, I can't keep track
2: yeah, I would say that those things are going to be played. Uh, yeah. I would be really surprised if they didn't. But the rest of them, they might have to take a one-year hiatus from these, uh, what we what we viewed as second- and third-tier bowl games. And if it comes to pass, it, that's what it is. I would be disappointed, not for myself, but for the kids, because I'll go back and it was such an eye-opener, and I've said this, and you know where I'm going. You
0: are going to Stay- talk about going to Tucson and seeing yeah. Utah State in an overtime bowl game with New Mexico State. Hardly the kind of thing that had the country, country locked down, but when New Mexico State scored, genuine passion and joy, and you had to feel good for kids who six wins was a hard task. New Mexico State's a hard place to win.
2: Right, yeah, and it was down to my end. It was because it was down at the opposite end of where the, uh, I, was sitting, I was standing on the, uh, the Utah State sideline, of course. And when that kid missed that field goal, and, and just I could just literally I could still vision the New Mexico State kids sprinting 40 yards to <laughs> join the, the uh, special teams. I think it was a missed field goal okay. at that time. And just to see the joy, and then to look up and to see all that purple on that side of the stadium.
0: And they're all bouncing up and down, arms up and they're over their They're yeah. going
2: Yeah, it was so cool, man. It didn't mean Jack to me either way, but to what it meant to New Mexico State. So, yeah, I won't miss it personally, but it isn't about me anyway. It's about the youngsters and their fans, particularly in the case of New Mexico State. That was the first time since, what, 1960 or something, some outrageous number yeah. that they had done that, and they won the ball game. And it was so fun. I felt so happy for them that they were so excited. Now, on the flip side, I had the opportunity to, me and Matt Wells, we had to... Wa- I ended up walking with him from the locker room <laughs> to the media room. And I can't begin to repeat to you what he told me during <laughs> that walk. <laughs> you have repeated to me, I know. It was hilarious. It was and it's, It was hilarious
0: for two reasons. One, because we know Matt a little bit. We don't know him real well, but we know him a little bit. Having him on the show every week and then talking to him. You know, he'd come down and do a TV interview or whatever. And uh, then two... He said stuff, a, a cold-hearted analysis of what had just happened over the next three hours that you always kind of suspect must happen, but you don't hear it. And then three, he got up in front of a microphone and said what he had to say, not necessarily what he had just told you walking
2: Oh no, it was a 180 degree difference. (laughs) It was so freaking funny. I didn't, I just Uh, laughed to myself because I uh, had just, and it's a long walk from the locker room to where the media is, uh, media room is. So it was it was a few minutes, and he was just chirping in my ear the whole time. And I'm not saying anything. I'm not frustrated. I mean, I'm frustrated for him, but I'm not frustrated for myself. Yeah, and it just you know it doesn't matter to me. Although I was obviously wanting the Aggies to win, and to listen to him go, the, he was just unleashing frustration. And he knew I'm a veteran dude, and I am never going to repeat that publicly. And and then somebody asked some questions and the, the oh it just, well uh, I, yay, uh. it was so meanwhile funny. on
0: the ramp <laughs> meanwhile on the ramp it's like you worked for weeks if you go to recruiting you worked for years for this moment Yeah, and i mean it was an overtime game right i believe so yeah yeah i, I meant as opposed to double overtime i think it was one overtime
2: oh. Uh, yeah, I think it was just one, but yeah, I can't remember.
0: Right. But the point is, there were multiple chances to win the game. There are multiple plays you can go back and say, if this or if that. You know? Oh, yeah, they moved that they game get,
2: 100 times over. Right. And then you get up in
0: front, you know, win a team, loses a team. Oh, wow. Well, you know, yeah. But meanwhile, <laughs> the brain, I mean, seriously, at the level college football has played, the low IQ guy, Isn't gonna make it as an elite player, an elite coach. I mean, there's so much going on. There's so much to do. And so he full well knows the 17 different chances they had to get a different outcome in that game in the second half alone. You know? And so he can recite them to you coming off the field.
3: This and that and
0: that and this, and then blah 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 blah, and then we coulda, woulda, shoulda, and and this and that.
2: I think they fumbled inside the five-yard line, too, Oh, there were plays remember. all I
0: Honestly, they blew it in all three phases of the game. Oh, yeah, and then they, yeah. they had
2: like a, a big, long third and 45 yeah. they committed some stupid personal foul yeah. that gave New Mexico State an automatic first and there, down. And there were questions yeah. about
0: special teams, too. There were opportunities there.
2: Right. Yeah. So, absolutely. Yeah. just. <laughs> and you know, most of the thing is
0: when you're you're near, you know the high IQ and you're smart, or you don't get to those things. Is you can usually deliver these things with a little wit that isn't appropriate into a microphone. <laughs>
2: oh, yeah. Absolutely. There's a yeah, certain absolutely. dry
0: delivery yeah, that's entertaining.
2: I can, <laughs> I can tell you, uh, I was in a locker room once at an NCAA tournament basketball, and the team I was covering lost. And there was a stupid play right at the end of the game. I won't give it up. But one of the assistant coaches, we've been dealing with that mother bleep and bleep for four years. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I know.
0: But it's inappropriate to call out 18-year-olds. So these moments have to stay private. That's really right, why you right. can't You know, you know, can't go there. Cause and, and it was and just
2: unleashing the frustration. Yeah. And I just nodded, yeah, 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 I hear you, that sucks, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't say anything, and obviously you never quote the guy. Uh, but that, that I, that's happened. I could write a book on all that stuff, the, the amount of times that that's happened over the years. Classic.
0: All right, anything else we talked about today's show? We got a lot of stuff. If you want to go to our Twitter feed or our Facebook, uh, go to Facebook, DJ and PK. Twitter, David DJ James. A lot of feedback on Quinn Snyder saying, the road from complacency to complicity is a slippery slope. I got a lot of feedback earlier this morning.
2: Yeah, I don't understand the depth of it, but that's probably because I'm shallow uh, and don't understand a lot of stuff. Uh, I got the Golf Channel on. Denny McCarthy, they got breaking news. He's tested positive for COVID-19. But as far as uh, one of the things that I I took away from the show was David Locke talking about his interracial marriage and someone saying that they didn't view that as an interracial marriage and that actually was offensive and that really, really opened my eyes to that type of thing that I had never even thought about. And I'm not intending to be. I'm thinking, ah, oh, you're just a regular dude. I'm well, thinking, yeah, I'm a regular dude, but I still have this over here and I want that to be acknowledged and it's offensive to me if it isn't acknowledged. And that's something that I learned this morning.
0: DJ and PK brought to you in part by Zions Bank. Back to business presented by Zions Bank. Helping Utah small businesses out uh, the Zone Sports Network here to support local businesses that have been impacted by COVID-19 and back to business gives business owners the opportunity to promote their businesses during these unprecedented times. At the Gateway, there's several businesses uh, working their way through this time, you got a lot of restaurants in the Gateway that are doing curbside pickup. Uh, they got a local grocer in the gate- Gateway now. The store is open. Uh, some of you may have gone down to Wise Guys Comedy. Well, they're doing live streams now, so you can still check out Wise Guys online. The Mystery Escape Room is online. They've got giveaways on social media and the drive-through art stroll. If you're in the area of the Gateway at 200 South, 400 West in Salt Lake City, if you'd like to have your small business mentioned on the air, visit 1280thezone.com. Click the Promos tab, select, select Back to Business, and simply fill out the form, and we'll take it from there. Back to Business, presented by Zions Bank. Feedback of the day brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City, where you can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only three fifty nine dollars per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State or audisaltlakecity.com. Well, PK, as I went to Twitter to look at feedback, I saw multiple people who cover the NBA nationally saying the NBA has announced 16 players have tested positive for coronavirus in the first round of testing. They tested a little more than 300 players. I think about 305, 310, something like that. So the positive rate is about 5.3%, which until recently was pretty much the national norm. That yeah. was kind of where things were. Now, we've seen an upswing lately, maybe up to 10% in some places, I think nationally, 6 or 7 But uh, what we're seeing out of NBA players is pretty much what we've been seeing out of the country for a few weeks now.
2: That does make sense, yeah, that you would think that it would parallel that. Uh, yeah, and then these guys, as Joe said, I didn't realize it until Joe said it uh, when he came on with us yesterday, that they're getting tested every other day.
0: Well, we had Dr. David Petron on, and he was talking about the different types of tests. They were doing this, they were doing that, and you know, it's, uh, Joe was giving us, uh, they used to go all the way up to the brain, yeah, and it, now they just go down to the, what did he call it? The snot zone or something like that? Boogers. Know, some, the boogers on the big booger zone. The big right, booger the, zone, I like, okay, yeah. I, I
2: didn't it's, really need to hear about boogers. I, mean, I never need to hear about boogers. <laughs> you didn't need to hear that? oh man (laughs) I learned that they call it boogers in Australia just like we call it here boogers in America I did not know that
0: Uh, it's good it's good to know we can all communicate Uh, let's see Uh, Jace tweets at us LeBron and AD are the best duo in the league but the Clippers have much better depth the Lakers success solely depends on both stars health can the top two guys at a roster beat a team that's seven or eight deep? I think you might be underrating LeBron, or, uh, Kawhi at the top of the roster. He's awfully oh, good.
2: Oh, I thought you might be talking about his health. Uh, uh, I would think the Clipper roster is a little deeper, mm-hmm. but how much does that matter? I mean, if no other reason, they got a Lou Williams who can, who can go for 40. I don't think the, the, the Lakers have that.
0: Uh, Rick did get a uh, a tweet here. Thank God for Rick. We need more common sense people like him in this state.
2: So that means you agree with Rick politically? Yes. Okay. I just want to make sure. Uh, well,
0: I assume it does. I mean, if you don't, you wouldn't send that in, right?
2: Every single person. So, man, we, we thought we had racism was bad, but Rick says every single person who voted for Trump is a racist. That means, because I always thought it was the sl- small minority of folks who were racist, but now we've literally got millions and millions. Man, we've got a lot of work to do.
0: DJ PK, we're all done. Hans and Scott are up next. We'll see you tomorrow.